If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn in them with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, or as my Welsh seminary professor used to say, 1 Peter, 1 Peter. If you don't have a Bible, we have some uh, Bibles on the back cart that you can use and insert in your bulletin has the passage for today. This is a short little letter near the end of your Bibles after Hebrew and James, the book that we looked at last year. And this morning we're beginning a new study in God's Word. You can tell that by the bulletin, a series that I'm entitling Hope in Exile. And we're going to talk about what that means over the next few minutes. But you may be wondering, if you're not wondering, I'm going to tell you anyway, uh, how did we get here? How did we get to First Peter? How does Pastor Nate land on a book of the Bible? Is it the old, like, the old flip and dip method uh, in my office one day? It's, it's not that way. Though I trust that the Lord is the one who leads me and leads your shepherds here. The long answer is we as we teach the whole counsel of God, as I preach the whole counsel of God, I like to rotate between Old and New Testaments, between all of the scripture that points to Jesus. And so obviously we've been in the book of Judges recently, and so that means a New Testament book, which narrows it down quite a bit. Uh, But secondly, not just me, but as I already mentioned, your shepherds, your elders, begin to ask the question, what, is it, what would it be good for us as a people, for us as Ascension Presbyterian Church to wrestle with? Obviously, all of God's word is profitable. We could just pick something at random and it would be good. It would be useful. It is God's word. But what are things that we, at this time in our context, should wrestle with? And out of that grew a discipleship year themed or centered around the theme of exile, evangelism as exiles. In the winter, holiness in exile, particularly in regards to our sexuality. That's where the adult class is going. And then in the spring, mission in exile, specifically focused on the government and politics of our day in an election year. And so I thought, as I thought about what I could do in the preaching of God's word in this time in our life together, I wanted to do something which, which would, that would dovetail with where our hearts are already going, where our hearts are already being prodded, at least those of us who are part of the adult class. And those of us who aren't, that's fine, because this is still a good place for us to be. First Peter is a good place for us to be. And it's a theme that we... We ought to look at very often, we do look at very often, because this is our day-to-day existence as we walk with Jesus. That's why back in the spring we looked at uh, pilgrim songs, remember that? As we jumped through the Psalter and looked at some journey psalms. Years ago, back in 2013, for those of you who have been here for a while, we we did a series called The Life of a Pilgrim, where we jumped around in various passages and thought about the fact that our life, this life, is, is a journey. It's a pilgrimage. It's an exile. We've never looked at this letter in its entirety, and so it's a good place for us to be this fall. And before I read 
the text, which is very short, uh, I want to give a little bit of background, and this is going to be a lengthy intro, but don't worry, I've taken it into consideration in regards to the overall length of the sermon. Uh, as you might assume, before we read these words, these are words from Peter. From Peter, from one Peter, one of the apostles of Jesus Christ. Jesus, or Peter was one of the first apostles called by Jesus and one of the closest to our Lord while he was here on earth. His original name was Simon Bar-Jonah, that is Simon, son of Jonah, but Jesus changed all that, first calling him Cephas or Cephas, Aramaic for rock, and then that translates into Greek as Petros or Peter, which also means rock. We love Peter. We love Peter because Peter is, he's bold and he's brash and he puts his foot in his mouth. Remember Peter's the one who when Jesus said he was going to go die, Peter said, no, absolutely not. I'll go to the death with you. And then suddenly Peter is in the courtyard swearing that he doesn't know who Jesus is and denying him before the rooster crows. We love Peter because Peter is a guy who understands and gets grace. A middle-class fisherman, ordinary dude, whose life was turned upside down by this man named Jesus. And Peter, of course, would witness all of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. And now Peter, as he writes, is living a life that is hidden in Jesus. Now his purpose is to bring glory to the name of Jesus and to guide others to do the same. And so he writes this letter and he writes it from the city of Rome and he writes it, we think, around 62 to 63 A.D., Nero, at this time of history, Nero is emperor of Rome. And if you know anything about that name, you know that Nero is not a good guy. He is a brutal emperor of Rome. Nero will become particularly brutal in the persecution of Christians in just about a year or two from Peter's writing of this letter in 64 AD when Nero blames a, a huge fire that takes place in Rome on Christians and that opens up this incredible uh, empire-wide persecution of Christians. But here in this writing, here in this context, the temperature is already rising in the empire. We talked about a little bit in Discipleship. We, we see hints of it in the book of Acts already, this uh, intolerance for followers of the way, as they were called, for these followers of Jesus. And here, even in 62, 63 AD, even before the full-on persecution under Nero, things are already getting bad. And to give you a feel for this, I want to read an excerpt from a letter of Pliny, Pliny the Younger, as he is called. He will sor shortly serve as the governor of Bithynia, one of the Roman provinces that is mentioned here uh, by Peter. He will shortly serve as their governor in, uh, from 111 to 113 AD, so about 50 years from the writing of this letter. But he writes... And he gives us a little bit of a glimpse of the first century church, albeit after this 
time period, 50 years after. He writes to the emperor for advice. The emperor was Trajan at this time, and he says, they, Christians, who he has confronted, he says, they asserted, however, that the sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn, okay, Lord's Day worship, sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God, and to bind themselves by oath not to do some crime, not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery, not falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. When this was over, it was their custom to depart and disassemble again to partake of food, but ordinary and innocent food. So he's writing to Trajan, kind of describing what these early Christians are doing, trying to figure it out. Even this, they affirmed, they had ceased to do after my edict in which, in accordance with your instructions, I had forbidden political associations. So the followers of the way were seen as a political threat. Accordingly, I judged it all the more necessary to find out what the truth was by torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. Matter of fact, had to get some information, but I discovered nothing else but depraved, excessive superstition. I therefore postponed the investigation and hastened to consult you, for the matter seemed to warrant consulting you, especially because of the number involved. For many persons of every age, every rank, and also of both sexes are and will be endangered. For the contagion of this superstition has spread, not only to the cities, but also to the villages and farms. But it seems possible to check and cure it. And that's how Pliny ends his letter to Trajan confident that they can check and cure this political uprising, this superstitious contagion that is taking over the country. See, these are the kind of people that Peter is writing to, a people who are increasingly being misunderstood, a people who are beginning to suffer more and more as they seek to be faithful and live out the kind of life that the risen Christ instructs them to live. It's not a letter that's written to one church in particular. This is what we call a circular letter which would have circulated to all these Roman provinces, probably taken by Silvanus, who is mentioned in chapter five, Peter's friend who would walk from church to church, encouraging the churches with this news. And so this is what we have before us. For the next weeks, for the next months, we're gonna deep dive into 1 Peter. Those of you who are part of the Discipleship Hour know that uh, our discipleship book uh, goes through various verses in 1 Peter, and so there will will be a little bit of overlap, but it won't be a, a bad or annoying overlap. I trust it'll be a helpful overlap. And this morning in particular, we're gonna deep dive in regards to this idea of exile. So let's stand together and listen to God's word. First Peter chapter one, verses one and two. Let me read it. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, 
according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. We live in a world of throw-away words and empty greetings. A lighthearted example of this happened not too long ago. A couple of my kids and I were walking somewhere together. I don't even remember where it was. Maybe it was the trail near our house. And we walked by someone on the way. And as I approached him, uh, I said, hello. And he replied, good, how are you? And it just happened so quick. Hello, good, how are you? And I walked on and we joke about it now that I didn't really ask him how he was. Not that I didn't want to know that he was good, but I said hello and he was already geared and poised and prepared for his greeting even before I opened up my own mouth. More than flippant greetings are words on a paper or in our day and age, words on a screen. Words that are increasingly becoming meaningless. We have lost the art of letter writing. In this age of texting and email, we prize brevity more than words of weight. Well, you know as well as I do, you appreciate as well as I do, that we gather this morning as the people of God, as people of the book, as we are sometimes called, and therefore people who value words immensely. In the first century context in which Peter is writing, certainly there was a value more on words or at least on the written word because of the, that was what they had. They were products of their time, but they also knew that God's words, God's words shape us. God's words make us. So this morning we come to a very simple greeting a very simple introduction. One that when in our day and age, dear Bob, this is Nate. Here's why I write. But here we come to a sentence that is jam-packed with meaning and significance. And I want to unpack some of it this morning through two exhortations that I think we can see out of this opening greeting, two things that serve as a foundation, not only for the rest of this letter that we're gonna look at for the next weeks and months, but for all of our lives as believers. We've talked about who Peter was, now Peter is going to remind us who we are. So just two verses this morning, the first Exhortation is this. It's a chapter heading of what we discussed in Discipleship Hour. Embrace your exile. Embrace your exile. 
If you are here during the adult discipleship hour, as I've said, your ears are already ringing with this phrase, with this word of exile. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Exiles of the dispersion. This is a powerful phrase that Paul, or excuse me, that Peter speaks over the church, and it's one that's, that's riddled with Old Testament covenantal meaning concerning the identity of God's people, the nation of Israel. If we just take the word, we know that to be exiled is to be out of your homeland and forced to live in another land. And so it was with Israel, who found themselves more than once out of their homeland and in this very predicament. They were scattered, dispersed. The Greek word is diaspora or diaspora. Here Peter draws on that rich Old Testament covenantal history and he applies that phrase to the church to this new people composed of Jew and Gentile. A population that is indeed scattered around the empire, the Roman Empire at this time, but more than, more than geography, more significant than that, it's a people who don't belong spiritually. Many of us are holding ESV Bibles in our hands. Listen to the other ways that this word exile translated for us has been translated. To those living as strangers, to those who are aliens, to those who are refugees, to those who are temporary residents. You see, it's not It's not just that these believers were outside of Palestine. Surely that mattered for the Jews, not so much for those who were not Jews. It's that they were living in a place that wasn't home, beyond all the scenery that they're a part of. A place with a set of values that wasn't their own. A place with priorities that were different than theirs. A place with a king who didn't hold their ultimate allegiance. The Apostle Paul has a lot to say about this in his letters as well. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain and darkness, and domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Hebrews 13.14, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek a city which is to come. And Jesus, even in John 17, the high priestly prayer, prays for his followers and says to the Father, they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. And so the point is, you are to consider yourself, you are called to be strange. And you ought to expect it. 
as you give up a beautiful fall Sunday morning and you prioritize coming here to sing and to hear from and to commune a God who isn't visible to your eye, as you speak of blood and death and hope in life and in death, as you honor and love everyone, even your enemies, as you abstain from the banal pursuits of this life, stuff, pleasure, reputation, as you live lives of purity and light in marriages that are faithful and true, as you forego the positions of power and live your life in weakness and humility. And I will go on and on and on and Peter will go on and on about what this life in exile looks like. It's strange. One of my favorite pastors, teachers, authors, Paul Tripp, says this, think about this. You were chosen to have the blessing of being not of this world. You have been honored to no longer fit. You have been blessed to be just a little bit weird. You have been graced to be misunderstood. You have been chosen to do things that in the normal way that to do things that in the normal way that the world operates makes no sense whatsoever because you have been welcomed to the kingdom of God. Oh, and you shouldn't mourn that. You shouldn't hide that. You shouldn't wish that you fit more. This cross-cultural existence is a sure sign of the fact that grace, transforming grace, has been given to you. And here's the kicker. Because of exile, because of embracing exile, you will suffer. Ridicule, yes. Discrimination, probably. More than that, maybe. And that's what makes this hard to accept. It's hard to embrace this identity. It's hard to embrace exile for that reason. And that's why Peter writes this letter to the church. And that's why the Holy Spirit gives it to us this morning. That's why Peter lays these three massive beams in verse one, in verses one and two, before he gets into any details. This didn't just happen. And this is where Peter really girds up first century Christians and us here today to embrace exile. Embrace exile because of the work of the triune God. That's essentially what he says in verse two. Embrace exile because of the work of the triune God. Trinity is not a word that is used in the Bible, but the teaching that God exists in three persons and yet one God is packed all together here in one verse. And it's exactly the gospel that our hearts need. Now Peter is not putting it here to give a theological treatise and to unpack of all these things, that it, all of what this means. But he is pastorally putting before the church some pretty weighty, heavy doctrine. Doctrine that he knows ought to bring comfort and boldness to your hearts. Three prepositions help modify this exile. 
according to, in, and for. First of all, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Oh boy, we could talk for weeks about this about those nasty Presbyterian words of predestination and election. This is not God looking forward in time, liking what he sees and desiring or deciding to place his affection on us. As Paul told the churches of Galatia in Galatians 1.15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born. This is a God who in his mercy, and for his glory sets his affection on a people which in turn brings about their love for him. Elect exiles chosen by God. The Lord told Israel in Deuteronomy 7, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession This passage will come up again in Peter's letter. Out of all the people who are on the face of the earth, not because you were more in number than others, but because the Lord set his love on you and chose you. It is because the Lord loves you. Not only that, But because of his choice, the Holy Spirit is making us like Jesus. He's making us new. That's the second preposition that we see in verse two. In, in the sanctification of the Spirit. And yes, it it, it may very well be the reality of this sanctifying work of the Spirit which is creating the exile, which is creating the suffering. And yet Peter reminds the church that in Christ, the Spirit of God is constantly and consistently part of your lives. He is at work in everything, in the joys, in the sorrow, in the pleasure, in the pain. Nothing is wasted. And so you can embrace exile. You can embrace strangeness because you've been chosen and loved by the Father. And the Spirit has been given to you and is at work in all of you. And then finally, this was a grace that was purchased. Peter will write in verse 18, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb of God. So the last preposition is for, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. A purchase was made for a purpose. To bring about new life. To bring about the kind of life that we were originally created for, a life of obedience, a life of submission, a life of fellowship and friendship with God. Embrace exile because of the work of the triune God. The bottom line is this. In this season of not feeling comfortable, but feeling out of place, either as a people or as individuals, in this world of 
of trouble and pain. In this world of suffering, suffering outside of us, suffering brought about by our own actions, by our own lack of faith, there is comfort in these two verses and in what Peter begins to speak over the church, what the Holy Spirit speaks over you today. The Father plans, He knows, He is the source, and He is the root. The Spirit empowers, He makes new, He is the means, He is the soil, and He is the sun. And the Son receives, He bought, He is the goal, and in Him there is fruit. You see, there is hope in exile. There is purpose in exile. And so we can embrace it. One of my favorite quotes so far in that book that we have picked up and are looking at in the adult discipleship hour is actually in the foreword. There D.A. Carson writes this, speaking about our current context. He says, instead of whining and feeling sorry for ourselves because the culture is becoming unrecognizable, Christians should align their vision with that of the most mature first century Christians. Stop living your life in fear and wear the cultural dissonance as a badge of honor. Embrace exile. And it all culminates in this beautiful blessing that that grace, that grace that only the work of God can release would be yours, resulting in peace, and then multiplied and multiplied upon that. Perhaps we ought to be a little bolder Perhaps we ought to not be afraid to be a little stranger. Perhaps we ought to remember that we can embrace who we are here on earth with contentment, with hope, because of what we've been given in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly